Welcome to episode 143 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we are looking at season 6, episode 17, Trevor. The original air date was April 11th, 1999. The action primarily takes place in Mississippi, and the IMDb user score has risen from 7.2 to 7.5 out of 10, following the Fox Marathon. Now, this one is directed by Rob Bowman, who we've heard many times before and we'll hear from again. The writing credits are a little bit different. There are two credited writers on the episode, and in both cases, this is their sole writing credit. So, Kenneth J. Harlew is one of the writers. He was also property master on The X-Files for 105 episodes, starting as early as Deep Throat and then ending as late as the end. So he was the prop master, not for the pilot, but for all the Vancouver episodes. And he's been the prop master in a number of projects before and since. And his earliest work was Draw in 1984. He worked on a couple episodes of MacGyver. He also did Millennium, Dark Angel, Dead Like Me, Traffic, Battlestar Galactica. So a lot of these shows, but not the name I usually dig for. I don't typically look at the art department for the prop master, only noticed the connections he's had to other genre shows just because he was the credited writer, or one of them. The other credited writer is Jim Guttridge. He's got 37 composer credits, 10 music credits, and 4 soundtrack credits. This is his only writing credit. It's also his only X-Files credit. But it really seems like these two people who are used to the music industry and the TV industry and know how to work with film had an idea for an episode that they pitched and it was successful. The pitch is about prisoner John Deal. We see him helping to secure the prison he's in from an incoming tornado and grossly overreact to someone who's treating him like a bit of a jerk. And this continues. So we know he's got a temper. We eventually find out he's in here for a $90,000 robbery, but we don't find that out till after he finds a way to escape. He's initially presumed dead, but something that happened during the tornado gave him the ability to walk through solid matter. He has a habit of burning and killing the people who wrong him by passing through them, because when he passes through things, it does something to destabilize the matter, makes it brittle and fragile, whether it's walls, handcuffs, car trunks, or whatever. And he keeps saying, I want what's mine. I want what's mine. So we follow this through his ex-girlfriend, who's now in a happy relationship, living under an assumed name and has cut all ties to her past, including her own sister, to try and get a fresh start and leave her relationship with Pinker Rawls behind. But Rawls finds her through her sister. Mulder and Scully do as well, following the trail. And we ultimately learn he's not after the money, not that he wouldn't take it, but he learned that when he was imprisoned, his girlfriend was pregnant, and she gave birth to a child who she put up for adoption through decidedly unofficial channels, as in just handed the child off to a sibling. And that child is Trevor, the title of the episode, although we don't learn this until very near the end. This is one of those cases where If the X-Files actually showed the episode titles on screen, 
then they might have chosen a different title because it gets a little bit spoilery when you know it's about someone named Trevor. It's I remember from watching the original broadcast, knowing the episode titles coming up because they had them on the Fox website. It didn't take long before I figured out, no, he's looking for a child. And that wasn't based on any on-screen evidence. It was just knowing, okay, the episode's titled Trevor. I want what's mine. We don't know for sure it's the money. He's looking for a kid. And Mulder and Scully do their best to protect him. You know, they find the one who's looking for another chance. In the end, Pinker Rawls is going for the boy and attacking Scully, who's protecting him because they have found out he's not able to pass through glass. And when he sees what's happening and sees his ex bearing down on him with a car, he just walks out in front and stands there and allows the car to slice him in half because he can pass through everything but the windshield. Ending with the woman saying, what did he want? After he was saying he was here for the kid and Mulder said, maybe another chance. And she breaks down in tears. So that is roughly the plot of the episode. And honestly, from the first broadcast to this one, most of it holds up. Rob Bowman's direction is great with visuals. This is a very visual episode. But that last line when Mulder is saying maybe he just wanted another chance feels almost like he's guilt-tripping his ex. Now, there is something to be said about vigilantism and taking the law into your own hands. But there's also something to be said for Rawls, who realized, yeah, he was a danger to this boy, and he was going to continue to be. He walked out in front of that car and let it kill him. He made no attempt to save himself, and he could have easily. He knew the danger he was in. So saying maybe he wants another chance, drawing similarities between the two. As a mother, she's not a perfect woman, but she's not Rawls. That is very clear from the start. That line has always rubbed me the wrong way, because it feels a little bit like guilt-tripping someone who took extreme actions to protect her son, when he could have said, you know what, he, he could have avoided it, Rawls chose to die. Right? That was a suicide, Rawls stepped out in front of the vehicle, and that wouldn't have otherwise hit him. Now, Rawls is played by John Deal. He's got 144 acting credits to his name. According to the IMDb, the most prominent one is his role as Jack Nance in The Client. This is his only X-Files credit. We also have Tuesday Night as Jackie Gerwich. I'm betting that's a screen name. Now, she's got 52 acting credits to her name, including some that are in post and pre-production right now. She's been acting since 1963 when she appeared on General Hospital. Now, I'm kind of forced to conclude that that's an error in the IMDb date on that episode, considering it also says she was born in 1969. Her second acting credit would be at age three as concerned child in the Mod Squad. Now, we also have Frank Novak. His career started in 1983 in I Am Joe's Eye, which is part of a series of educational videos that I remember watching in biology. He's also appeared in Sleepwalkers, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Seinfeld, and a number of other shows. This is his only X-Files credit. And it appears he may have retired his last credited role. His 99th credit is from 2012. Now, David Bowe plays Robert Werther. He's also appeared in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Beverly Hills 90210, and a number of other things. According to the IMDb, he's best known for The Cable Guy, The Rock, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, and what I will always associate him with, UHF, which he played Bob Steckler 
you know, the best friend to Weird Al's character. We also have Catherine Dent. Again, only one X-Files credit, although she does have a credit coming later in the Lone Gunman spinoff. She's best known for her roles in The Majestic Silk Taken and her role as Danny Sofer through The Shield. Trevor is played by Jeffrey Shoney. He had 12 acting credits, starting as Junior Lamb in Simon Birch in 1998 and ending as Peter Connors in PC and the Web in 2001. So it looks like he tried acting, but it wasn't for him and he moved on after a couple of years, or perhaps moved to the stage, which wouldn't be listed in IMDb listings. And then the final guest star that stands out to me is Lamont Johnson. He plays Whaley, the other inmate who was goading Pinky Rawls and spurring the overreaction in the first few minutes. His first credit is 1989. He now has 54 credits to his name, most recently in an episode of Gracie and Frankie from 2018. So this is one that's all about the tension as we see, you know, Rawls getting out there. He is an interesting villain with the ability to pass through solid objects. When it comes to Mulder and Scully coming to that conclusion and the discussion they have, where Scully's, you know, now more open to the idea of things like spontaneous human combustion and that sort of thing, that bothers me a little bit. I know she traditionally has been the skeptic, but the way it kind of manifests here where she says, oh, no, there are some documented examples. There aren't any valid documented examples of spontaneous human combustion that you know, scientists have said, yes, this is what we've seen. So it seems out of place. If you want to show her opening her mind and broadening horizons, you just have her say, yeah, it, it looks like that. There may be something else going on, but it does fit the unverified legend kind of approach. As for glass being his weakness because he can't pass through insulated glass, but he can pass through other things, glass is a comparable insulator to drywall to wood, and to most of what the house is made of. So that is something that was more of a plot convenience than something sensible. The properties that they say that are keeping him from passing through glass are not all that unique to glass. So there's got to be something else going on, but it's not like they did a thorough scientific study. It's entirely possible that there was something else going on. And it's just clear that Mulder and Scully drew the wrong conclusions because they didn't have enough evidence. Mulder just kind of jumped to that conclusion. Scully didn't necessarily buy his explanation, but she couldn't deny the evidence that, yeah, for whatever reason, he can't pass through glass. Glass seems special to us because we get so much of our sensory input through the, the vision. We all tend to depend on that a lot. And glass just happens to be transparent to the visible spectrum. But if we could see further in the spectrum, we'd see that a lot of materials are transparent on a lot of different frequencies. For other species, glass would not be transparent, or at least not fully. It would be more opaque. For example, glass effectively blocks ultraviolet light, and there are species of insects and shrimps that can see into the ultraviolet spectrum. So to them, the glass, what we consider transparent glass, or clear glass, would appear as color-tinted glass since some of the colors get through, but not all of the colors of the spectrum that those species can see. So that's kind of a human-driven perception that wouldn't necessarily have any meaning at the subatomic level, and that's what they're talking about. 
We have other issues, though. If he can pass through walls, then there's no reason he can't also pass through the floor. And it does look like he is still bound by gravity and whatnot. So anytime you have phasing characters, like that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, you start to have the serious science issues because of that. Anyway, that's about all we have to say about Trevor. Join us back here in two weeks' time when we discuss Milagro. Thank you for listening.